During the holidays, when we're relentlessly told to feel merry, darkness can descend and the cold can sink into our bones. Melancholy can weigh some folks down, so reach out to your friends. Let them know you care about them. Even for those of us not burdened by depression, winter can be challenging. Of course, the physical darkness is inevitable. It's all part of the cycles of the seasons. But its psychological manifestation can cast shadows over our holiday spirit. In the darkness of winter, when the green, rich summer memories are gone, and when animals are scarcer, having flown south or burrowed into the ground, a sense of solitude can grow. We can feel separated from each other, a a bit alienated from the rest of the world. If we pay attention to the daily news, we may find it necessary to retreat even more. Some days, the path of least resistance is to stay in bed, to hibernate, waiting for things to improve, for light to return. Hibernation isn't so bad an option, I suppose. I mean, animals do it, and they seem no worse for wear. It can help us regroup or heal. Sometimes, the darkness is our friend. Besides, as a humanist, I don't think there's anything I can do to bring back the sun. No prayer, supplication, or sacrifice makes a difference. Unlike some ancestors of millennium's past, I don't evoke the spirits for help. I don't blame others for the curse of short days or long nights. Maybe, as Emily Dickinson said, we've grown accustomed to the dark. Is she right when she says that something in the sight adjusts itself to midnight? Now, at times, I've felt like we've adjusted to these dark times. To war, suffering, and climate change, we give a shrug. We protect ourselves from angst over our human fate with phrases like, yeah, we're basically screwed. When darkness comes, can we do more than retreat into fatalism? Can we, as one friend suggested, honor darkness? Honor night? Can we make use of them? After all, we can hide from danger in darkness. And nighttime brings us our dreams, rich treasures from the subconscious. The psychologist Elizabeth Kubler-Ross says that people are like stained glass windows. They sparkle and shine when the sun is out, but when the darkness sets in, their true beauty is revealed only if there is a light from within. At the very least, when it gets dark, can we navigate through it safely? I mean, when we're driving home at night through a snowstorm, can we arrive safe and sound? As the poet Gillian Clark describes in her poem, Journey, it can be challenging. She writes, As far as I am concerned, we are driving into oblivion. On either side, there is nothing, and beyond your driving shaft of light, it is black. You are a miner digging for a future a mineral relationship in the dark. 
I can hear the darkness drip from the other world where people might be sleeping, might be alive. In life, when we drive through the darkness, we bear the burdens of winter and hope to emerge on the other side with something of value. What can you draw from the darkness? How can it serve you? I use the darkness when I meditate. And when I teach meditation, I invite others to close their eyes. Without the distractions of sight, it's easier to be calm, to settle, to center. I've learned to gather strength from the emptiness, from the stillness. Memories come more alive when we close our eyes, don't they? I mean, when somebody asks me to imagine, oh, childhood winter memories, I almost instinctually tip my head back slightly and close my eyes. Imagination has more room to blossom. Try it. Try closing your eyes and imagine the earth floating in space. Bring to mind this blue, green, and white marble that we call our home, gleaming in the darkness of space floating secure in its orbit. It is, on average, about 92 million miles away from the sun. Counterintuitively, the Earth is a bit closer to the sun in winter than in summer. But it's colder for us in the northern hemisphere because the Earth tilts away from the sun like it's shy, trying to elude the bright rays. This year of 2023, on Thursday, December 21st, at exactly 10.27 p.m., the sun's rays will shine on the northern hemisphere at their lowest, most acute angle. Since colder air holds less humidity, the stars can seem at their brightest. So when I bundle up and wander into the cold night and stare up at the stars, I feel both alone and connected to everything. Though I feel dwarfed by the immensity of space, a sense of unity, of oneness, twinkles in me. This contradiction of life is mysterious. So too is the immensity of space. The uncountable stars overwhelm us. We try to understand them, we know that the closest and brightest of them fit into constellations of familiar forms that we create, celestial sketches of dogs and farmers and hunters. We try to make sense of stars through astronomy books. But in their flickering reflections on water, mystery remains. We're humbled by moments when we're aware that some stars that we see no longer exist, while others will outlast us by millenniums. This magical experience exists only in dark spaces away from the streetlights and the marquees of our cities. Only in the darkness can we see the stars, a common lesson that we often forget, which is why we need rituals to remind us. Rituals about the winter solstice are ancient and widespread. They help us make meaning. Ancient religions offered explanations about our dependence on nature 
and our reverence for the sun. When we understood enough to be afraid, but not enough to control our fate, ceremonies expressed this human condition. In words and practices, we expressed both humility and hubris. We prayed for the return of the sun. We called out to the sun god. In Egypt, it was Ra. In Greece, it was Apollo. In Rome, Sol. In China, Shen Yi. For the Anasazi tribe, Taiwa. And so on and so on. We beseeched the powerful forces to be kind to us. We asked for the sun to return. We cried, please bring back the light. Bring back the warmth. Chase away the dark, cold winter. And we were reassured. Humanists do not call on the supernatural, so we must call on each other. We have to bring the light and warmth back through our own efforts. So, at the solstice, we light fires and gather close in community. We huddle around the hearth. In many places, such as at the Ethical Society, we light candles, read poems, listen to music, and sing. These rituals help us manage the darkness, and it is easier when we do it together in community. This does not happen naturally, especially these days. In our fast-paced, individualistically focused culture, community must be a choice. It's something humanists build intentionally, for we don't rely on supernatural forces or divine fate. This was emphasized by Janet Asimov, the wife of the late Isaac Asimov the science fiction writer and humanist. I want to end with her words from Yuletide Comfort for Atheists. I think there is comfort in the acceptance of uncertainty, of life now but not forever, of no ultimate safety. Be in a group. Know that one is part of the human tribe and a part of the universe that's becoming aware of itself with choices to make. But take some comfort in the chilly fact that in the most fundamental way, each of us is alone. We don't need to look to gods, even Santa Claus, to keep us feeling connected, though alone. We have to reach out to each other, be as helpful as possible, as rational as possible. In other words, as comforting as possible. In Good We Trust is recorded at the Philadelphia Ethical Society in Philadelphia, PA. For more information about us, visit phillyethics.org or follow us on Instagram at Philly Ethics.